Hello, friends. Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters for helping us keep the distiller going and for supporting the costs involved in making it. This is a labor of love for all involved, and the support we get from our patrons helps us cover the basic costs of web hosting and upkeep, the necessities of keeping the show coming your way. If you'd like to learn more about supporting The Distiller, visit thedistillerpodcast.com and click on the Become a Patron link for more information. Thanks. If you really are concerned about natural, go for it. If you're concerned about health and nutrition, scrap the labels, turn the package around, and look at the nutritional panel, right? All those labels are there for a reason, and usually it's not to communicate what's good about it, it's to market you something. I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guests for this episode are Lou Weeks and Tony Moore. Lou and Tony are both flavorists or flavor chemists. As you'll hear, an exact title is kind of hard to arrive at, and it doesn't really capture what they do. Tony and Lou create the flavors that you experience in food and drinks every day. Part art, part, well, mostly science. Flavor chemistry is a field that nearly every American experiences every day and about which most of us know nothing. There's a lot of discussion about what goes on in the things we eat and drink, but how often do you get the perspective of the people who actually create the flavors you experience? Well, today you're going to. I talked with Lou and Tony at the Overlook Lodge. If the name sounds familiar, it's because this Cincinnati bar is named after the Overlook Hotel. It's a tribute to the Stephen King novel and the 1980 Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining. The Overlook Lodge is complete with rustic decor, a manual typewriter, axes hanging from the walls, and the old CB radio to call for help that will never come. I talked with Lou and Tony about the complex relationship they have with food, given their close relationship to it, and how they both got into the field of flavor chemistry in the first place. We talked about how two people who are intimately involved in what goes into making so much of what we eat and drink feel about the foods they consume, about organic and natural foods, additives, GMOs, and about the idea of flavor as it relates to taste and preference and whether these are skills that can be learned or that you just have to be born with. Although they work in the same industry and for the same company, their jobs are very different. Lou is an applications scientist. She makes flavors in the lab every day. Tony is on the innovation side, creating new flavors, predicting what people will want a year or two from now. Their perspectives and their rapport, as you'll hear, are a lot of fun. So grab a drink and listen in as we talk flavor chemistry and food science with Tony Moore and Lou Weeks on The Distiller. Cheers. 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 Thank you both for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks to the Overlook Lodge. I uh, for hope we'll be answering your questions. Hosting. Oh, you will answer the questions. <laughs> this is my wife and I smell your favorite bars. Well, oh, I mean, it's cool. like yeah. right down the street from your house, yeah. but it's a great, yeah, it it's a great, great place. It is. Let's start off by saying that we're in a shining, the shining themed bar. Red rub. Red rub. On the second day of the dead <laughs> season. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Yeah. So Angie is here it. shooting photos. If you're listening to this episode, go to the website and look at Angie's uh, photos. This is the this is a great place. So yes. um, I'm going to let you. I'm going to start out uh, by letting you both introduce yourselves or at least give your maybe your titles so Lou will we'll start with you um, food application scientist it's okay. official okay and Tony what is your title these days <laughs> it's much shorter than Lou's <laughs> flavorist is the easiest way to say it really. okay there's it's a lot of other... something fancy it doesn't have C's yeah, right. in it he's got like almost MD after innovation his name. Like specialist Q, or... CC innovation bird editor CIO Lou's going to give your titles. Come on. Isn't. At the end of the day, I Come still make on. stuff stink. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Make stuff stink. Yeah. True. All right. So you you both work for, for flavor producers, company on the north uh, part of Cincinnati here. You are both involved in the flavor and fragrance. In Not so much fragrance. Yeah. Okay, just flavor. Wait, wait, uh, flavors do have a smell. Yep. So we okay. do care about that, but we are not perfumers. Okay, you're not perfumers. Or Different perfume. world. Okay. All right, even though you, Lou, are on the board of the Cincinnati chapter of the WFFC, flavor and fragrance yeah, <laughs> industry, I don't know what, it, there's an acronym. Women, Flavor, and Fragrance Commerce. Okay, so the worlds are related, but you're yep. primarily in the flavor side of it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as, as detailed as you want to be, we'll start with you, Lou. Tell me what you actually do. Um, simply, I am um, take 
let's say, Tony's flavor creations, Mm -hmm. and I apply them to alcohol, to baked goods, and to food products. What do you mean you apply them? So I decide, or with the help of a flavorist, taking their unique flavor compositions, Mm -hmm. so their artistry, taking that and... Um, I think alcohol is the most simple to understand. Mm-hmm. If somebody's looking at a pineapple vodka, mm-hmm. that's coming from a flavor, most okay. likely. So, in order to get a fresh pineapple or juicy pineapple or something the customer's looking for, um, that's my job to kind of interpret that. Okay. So, so Tony or somebody like Tony comes up with a with a creation with an idea, mm-hmm. does the initial work of maybe what the formulation is going to be, or yes. or you do that. Um, I think Tony does the, I don't want to speak for you, Tony, but the creation of that flavor and I'll take that flavor and interpret that into uh, whatever the customer or what I think would be popular on the market. Making it an actual product. Yeah. Consumer, finished consumer product. Okay. Great. And Tony, what would you say you, you do? Um, Well, uh, flavor, as a flavorist, I create flavors, but you know, we have several thousand ingredients that we're allowed to use legally to use to make flavors of which we focus on natural organic products. So it's a much more limited number. Um, So Lou's right. I will make maybe the first draft, but it's a pretty collaborative process. Absolutely. It's pretty often Lou says, Tony, this sucks. Or I'll (laughs) say, (laughs) I want this um, yuzu flavor and Tony has to go and research yuzu oil and how we can get that from Japan and make this happen here Mm -hmm. in the United States. Okay. What is (laughs) yuzu? Um, It's a very fragrant, citrus forward, um, lemon, grapefruit bergamot kind of flavor forward citrus um, from Japan. Okay. So. Um, I, I'm really excited. Honestly, several people have asked me, why did you start the this podcast? And um, Tony and I have been friends for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most of the time when people ask me why I started this podcast, I reflect back to one of the first times you and I ever drove up to Lakeside. In and a snowstorm behind a semi truck. In, in a snowstorm behind a semi, <laughs> white knuckling yeah. it. And I remember, I didn't know you well, and I remember at that, uh, like asking you, I think on that trip, what you did for a living. And you said, well, I'm a, I'm a flavor chemist or a flavorist. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I went, wow, that's a career I never even knew existed or <laughs> never thought of. Yeah. So you are partly responsible for this podcast existing. And ever since I started the show, this is episode 45, I don't know why I haven't had you on before this, but I wanted to talk to you about this because this is one of these things that people experience the work that you guys do every day and have no idea what goes into it. So I want to talk about all the things about, you just said there are flavors you're allowed to use. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the idea of how you, you talked about, you know, uh, uh, citrus forward flavors and I have many questions, but I want to start off by asking you both when you first knew that this was something that people do and how you actually got into it. Well, being the, um, the freshman in this scenario, since you guys are old buddies. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I started in culinary, mm-hmm. um, worked my way through the bakering world. and um, You went to, like, went to culinary school, we're going to be a went chef? Went to culinary school, thought I was going to do the chef thing. Okay. Didn't want to be a 40-year-old line chef. Went into bakery with a friend, loved that. Did the farmer's markets. And then kind of fell into a friend who uh, was leaving Flavor Producers at the time. And she's like, hey, there's this job opening at Flavor Producers. And I said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, got there. Well, Tony interviewed me along with other flavor chemists about five times. They weren't sure about a girl like me (laughs) coming into this world. A girl like you. A girl like you. There are many questions behind Uh, that. Yeah. So... I passed the grade, I guess, and uh, got in there and just discovered that this was a really cool, fun way to take my knowledge from culinary and the baking side and just kind of apply it into this world that I didn't understand and that um, was kind of unveiled in a way. Okay. So you started in food. You didn't start in like the chemistry side. You started in food and then, and then get deeper. No, but very similarly, you use that background in this... um, in this field. So. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people say a lot of times that especially baking is basically chemistry. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, yeah, there's baker's formulas, just like there's there's formulas that we work off of. Yep. Um, recipes, you could call those formulas right. too. It's just a different way of approaching it. Um, I gotta say, I just noticed yeah. that you have you have knives for earrings. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that's, a little on, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> Lou. I know. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I it. I love knives. Anthony okay. Bourdain's just is going for $50,000. I'm just saying. If anybody wants to get me a Christmas present, that's that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty special. <laughs> his knife. His knife. His <laughs> yeah. singular. Yeah. What is it? Is it a Japanese? It's a very special. He. Anyway, well, let's not go on a tangent. Okay. But yeah. All right. It's a very specially honed knife from. Um, All right. The depths of the earth. I'll, that's all. That's all. Okay, I'm hewn from the the rocks <laughs> yeah. at the center of a yeah. crater for meteorites. That's right. all I'm going to say. Okay. Gonna say. <laughs> Tony, how did you first know that this was a thing and that you it might be a thing you wanted to do? I don't have nearly as sexy of a story as Lou does. Oh, um, stop I, it! I grew up in it. So my yeah, mother worked for another company. I literally mm-hmm. spent, you know, I was raised by a single mother and. You know, so I spent most of my summers stomping around a, a creek bed behind a flavor company and then literally grew up in it. Okay. So I never thought that so I'd do it for a Tony's life. starting a story with an orphanage. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was born at an early age. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Might explain a lot of the ticks and weird other quirks I have, right? We'll put the violins uh, in behind, you know, in post-production. Yeah. yeah. No, but so you, so there was never a time that you didn't know that this is sort of where things came from. There was from. more of a time that, oh yeah, where it came from, but there was more of a time where I never thought I would do it hmm. for a living. You know, most, who grows up with something thinking that, yes, this is what I'm going to do because I grew up. Yeah. But um, I, I grew to love it. I didn't know that I was loving it, but I learned so much about it just from nepotism and just from being around it. Um, and it, it took me actually being in college. Like I never thought that I was good at math or chemistry. I was mm-hmm. a musician, you know, and it took one of my conductors when I couldn't understand a certain time signature to realize like, well, you, what do you mean you're not good at math? You already know math. You already right. know music. You know music, music is theory. Math. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. And that's when it connected. So I had to take one elective and for some reason I got chemistry mm-hmm. and the professor put it all together for me. And organic chemistry stuck. Wow. Because it was applicable, right? You know, you take this and this and you take this and you talk about weird things like molar energy and isotopes. And I had no idea I understood it, but it all just, it, it all clicked, I think, because I could find something real and relative like music to apply to it. And it's, it's a unique craft, in which yeah. it is a craft because it's equal parts art to yeah. science. I think that's what really got me. When I realized it was that, you yeah. know, like being kind of probably naturally a bit ADHD yeah. and maybe OCD in some ways. You know, you can <laughs> That's take... That's saying it lightly here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you can take both of those things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and then also it's something you can never perfect because it's so subjective. Mm. Right. You know, you, you might think this is the most awesome user flavor in the world and then find out, well, somebody thinks something differently of it. Yeah. There's something really addictive about that. So is it something, is it something uh, that part of it, the subjectivity... Do you have to have like an innate sense of flavors? Do you have to be like, I think about, and I know it's a different world, but I think about, you know, wine tasters or coffee tasters or sommeliers or um, where you have this palate that can, do you have to have that or can you be taught the things that you have to know in order to identify these flavors? Do you want to take this one? I mean, I, I do have, a, yeah. Go, we probably have a different opinion, so you go um, first. I think both. I think, I think you have to be... Um, I think you have to understand a little bit about what you perceive Mm -hmm. um, a flavor is and and roll with it. And then you have to also take the interpretation of that flavorist's work um, and almost make it commonplace sometimes for the consumer. So you have to you have to know both worlds because you um, I think that's what Tony taught me from the beginning was be a little opinionated, you know, stand your understand what you perceive as a flavor or this in every application is different too. So you have to know, you have to feel strongly about how this is going to taste in a bakery item versus an, um, an alcoholic beverage and, um, and run with it. Um, but then you also have to take the other side in the criticism and understand consumer products. Okay. So there's this, here's what I like, but here's what I think is, Consumer friendly. Consumer friendly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Here's what the largest number of yeah. people are probably going to consume. Consume and yeah. enjoy. Yeah. What, yeah. what about you, Tony? Uh, flavor is a big word, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in our world, we think flavor is so easily explainable because it's a, it's a sense, but it's experience. 
people apply flavor to much more things than just what we taste. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? And that's that's what drives me to think about it because it's a lexicon. The most important thing is is yeah. so if, if flavor is experience is that sensation, it's a direct trigger to memory. Right. So that's what I love about it. So so you know it's Absolutely. it's and I think that's yeah. what makes means you have to be opinionated because. To understand flavors and the thousands of ingredients that build a flavor, yeah. you first have to develop your own lexicon. Hmm. And there's some general words that we all relate to, but the first place you start with was, you know, why does this water taste like a rubber hose? Yeah. You know, and all these things as a kid, these yeah. things that yeah. bring back memories. I think that's what you first have to master that before we get compositional. So, Tony, for example, like like our lexicon of words we use in describing a compound is barnyard. Now, <laughs> would you go out and be like, you know what? This whiskey has that really nice, familiar barnyard taste. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, yeah. no, but that's like, not a good selling point. Us in as the a lab, marketer, we'll as a say, marketer, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. use that. We'll say it's very camperacious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have these big, long, dicky words. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the word, your average person who really matters, right, yeah. is going to say barnyard. Yeah. There was something we were talking the other day, and there was something I don't remember what we were drinking. Was it a gin or something? And you said that there was. Um, like a, a soapy, oh, it was the wine. The other night you were over at my house and we were drinking that bottle of wine and you said there was a note that this particular local wine had that was difficult to find. And what was it? It was a phenolic note. So it was somewhere with a glycol. So you think it tastes like a Band-Aid. That's what it was, right? Band-Aid. So, so typically yeah. you consider like a negative quality, but at the right amount, yeah. right? And me, with the right yeah. other things, that's yeah. what made it like intoxicating. Mm. And you want to come back Band-Aid. to it more and more. Exactly People right. feel that way about scotch, but I love scotch. Yeah. It just depends. You know, that peat yeah. note can be a Band-Aid profile, but I love it. It's right. the same so, ingredient. Yeah. It's the exact same class of ingredients we're describing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is in scotch, yeah. and it was it's in this one wine, which is pretty rare for a wine. Right. And that's what it is what made it very interesting. So is is taste the same thing as flavor? No. Yeah. No. Because you got you're dealing with aroma compounds as well. As so taste, taste is just a is just a, a mouth thing, and flavor is is aroma and nose, and is that what it is? Uh, well, Tony, I'll let you answer this one. And then we're gonna both screw up, and Alex Cahoon, our sensory scientist, is gonna kill us for butchering this. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna guess that he or she does not listen to the she, podcast, so she, I think I think you're fine. She. Yeah, she's. We'll gonna have kick, her mute this part. She's gonna kick our arses. Yeah. Um, it, boy, different people give you different answers, but I do think they're different. You know, I, I, taste is a much more identifiable. I think you've got sweets, it's salty, bitter, sour. You've got these very finite senses. Flavor is much bigger. Mm-hmm. Flavor can create, like you said, aroma mm-hmm. as well as too. So it combines all those. Yeah, I think aroma chemicals um, or you, what your sense of smell is plays a huge part in how you taste. Right. So that that's what our world is. We're constantly def- redefining and defining and learning constantly learning people's mm-hmm. tastes and just things coming out this year, like umami. Mm-hmm. Umami yeah. would have never been in um, the lexicon of um, an average taster, let's say, 10 years ago. Right. But with the influence of Asian cultures coming in and becoming part of our culture, I think, for food and alcohol-wise, umami is now on the plate. Can you describe, I feel like I have a, a general awareness of umami. Can you describe that? Um, if you think of a mushroom or tomato paste or anything that has like a rich fullness, um, some people think salty, but it's really, it's a whole other level hmm. past salt. Um, it's just like a rich fullness. I would, uh, that's how I describe it. Um, yeah, I think like soy sauce is probably yeah, the most, sauce is the yeah. most, yeah. Probably the most classic umami contributor yeah. to a dish. Okay. Yeah. Are there people in your world, we talked about like the things you can learn and the things that you can't. You said maybe it's kind of a balance between the two. Are there people in your world who are like the rock star flavorists? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who are, who are they and what makes them? Well, female-wise, that. I'll say Marie Wright. <laughs> I was about to, to count down. We're going to say the same thing. Yeah. She's a flavor. just across yeah. the river. And, no, then, she's not and then Tony Moore. No. <laughs> Male. No. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. Wright always seems to come up and... Yeah, and there, she's she's also married to a, a gentleman named John Wright, who is one of the authors of one of the books that we use as a reference and have used for decades. Okay, so they they are certainly like a power couple in the flavor world, and rightfully so. They, you know, they're both very strong, and they've literally they both probably shaped our industry. What are they great at? Ooh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Sorry, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Justin will deal with it. Sorry, <laughs> Justin. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, boy. Her husband, John Wright, obviously probably the book that defines a flavor and talks about what it is to be a flavor company, what it is to be a flavor chemist. Okay. Um, and Marie, I think, is really, I, 
everyone's going to say something different. For me, I think she's unabashedly pushed creativity into the flavors world, mm. where we were probably kind of the stepchildren to perfumer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Perfumers right. probably seen a little more creative because they can start with these unknown compositions. For us in the flavor world, we, we always do usually have a goal, like make this taste like strawberry, make this mm-hmm. taste like yuzu. Mm-hmm. Perform, perfumers just have a, more of a compositional sense. She's pushed the boundaries of that, at least the perception of that. So I think she's very responsible for pushing creativity. But known outside of the industry or just really a rock star? I don't know. Them? I'm I so don't insular. Know. I don't We're know so, if she yeah. is or not. It's, it's kind of funny. I don't, like I said, I wouldn't have known about this world if you had asked me six years right. ago. Right, but right. I think, I think being a rock star in a flavor industry is like yeah. saying you're a, your band is big in Japan or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like Germany for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just really have been to Japan. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Nobody and the David Hasselhoff okay. of Germany. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you? How does the work that you do and the interaction that you have with food and flavor and ingredients and all of that change? The gesture. It's the merging. I'm doing mashing (laughs) motions with my hands. That's what we do. How does it change the way that you think? Do you think about like the food that you encounter every day differently than I do? Uh, I think I always have. I think it's been yeah. I think so. Like from the joke for you probably see me do it, Brandon. I smell everything before I put it in my Mm. mouth. Uh You know yep. what I mean? And, I, and I, it's, a, it's like a constant, like, anal, anal, analyzing. Yeah. It's hard for me to turn off to look at anything I consume as one composition. I'm right almost on. always tearing it apart. Does that get tiresome? I, I don't I think you're, like, like Lucy, I think you're when bred for it. When we're together, I think it's fun. But if you're with your family, they find it super annoying. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> Just let it go. I, yeah. Good point. I don't say it. I don't, yeah. I don't generally yeah. don't you talk do about it. it. Yeah. 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 So for me, it's when someone says something, do I like it? That's a hard question for me to answer oh, right, right. because I'm going to analyze it. And there are things I like about it, things I don't like about yeah, yeah. it. But it's hard for me to say, yes, I like this. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we're just constantly on. I mean, I feel like I am. Like, oh, yeah, this is good. I like this. I'm going to try this. And blah, 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 blah. I mean, like the first, like the, the um, she made this lovely drink for us, right? Yes, we're drinking yeah. right now. delicious. Yeah. Shout out! And it was what a, a tea, a tea infused whiskey or brown spirit, along yeah, with bourbon. mint and bourbon. Mm-hmm. But the very first thing, so instead of saying this is a good drink, my first thing was I really like that dry that dry tannin finish mm-hmm. from the tea. So <laughs> I, I honed in on something very right. specific, right? right? Right. And mine yeah. was definitely the mint. Like I love that as a finishing note. It's just refreshing. Yeah. So. Interesting. Are, the, are, are conferences of flavorists just uh, an endless stream of food geekery? Yes. It's worse than the Shriners. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> it really Sometimes is. I find myself moonwalking out of conversations because I'm like, uh. Too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're when so, they start we're, like, we're, like delving into compounds and chemical compounds, I'm like, eh, moonwalk out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the, so the other side of that, what, what do you wish that people, that the general public knew about their food or their beverages that they don't? Mm. Um, I think that for me and and Tony might feel differently, but um, understanding that when you look at a composition of banana, it's made up of a thousand chemical compounds. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of relate that to how we take, or Tony, for example, will take, you know, 500 of those compounds to make it taste like banana for something for you, I think that's how I would approach the flavor world. So you're using those chemical compounds that are naturally found in something in the natural environment. Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. Flavors can seem scary because it's one word that can represent so many things. And, you know, know, we're all consumers. We're all... You know, we learn so much now. We're afraid to put something in our bodies we don't understand. Mm-hmm. But that life is chemistry. Yep, you know, we, we we often talk about squeezing orange. That drop of orange oil contains several hundred thousand right. compounds, right? Hundred thousand compounds. Yeah. And that's it is not no even including the zest on the outside. You know what I mean? Like that that has all those aroma chemicals. Well, so yeah. the idea. So somebody says to you, like, why can't my orange juice just be orange juice? And, and essentially, if I understand right, what you're saying is even your orange juice has hundreds of thousands of chemical compounds. And so you're rebuilding them yep. in ways that make them shelf-stable, in ways that make them consistently reproducible. I, I'm asking here. And, and yes, we are. I mean, we're, you know, for people who either they, they can't consume a lot of sugar for whatever reasons mm-hmm. or they can't consume gluten for some other reasons. So it's really funny that, you know, Flavors are often seen right now currently as unsafe um, when it's the opposite. You know, many times flavors make a lot of foods more safe for people hmm. to consume may have, who have maybe prone to some allergy or some dietary concern. Yeah. And, and flavors would allow those things to be consumed. Otherwise, it would be boring as hell. 
Yeah. Well, and yeah. think of how many people we have to feed in this world, especially now. Like all flavors play a huge part into that. Yeah. So into making foods accessible to larger numbers of people that yeah. otherwise might not be able to be produced at that scale. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the fun thing is, is that we are, we, Lou and I are talking about kind of complex, we call compounded or blended flavors mm -hmm. of ingredients, but it, it's nice that consumers concern are pushing things into more cleaner. Absolutely. Right. So in other words, we are finding new ways, like Lou talked about yuzu. We are finding ways to actually just extract things from the plants and still use the flavors. Absolutely. doesn't make them any less complex, mm -hmm. as we already said. Mm -hmm. Right, because you have I, to build it back. Exactly. Yeah. So you got these consumer concerns, ingredients, you know, large ingredient lists, the, the, I don't even know if clean label consumers is a thing, but people that are reading oh, labels. Oh, Okay. <laughs> yep. And they're, tr and they're trying to say, well, I, I want the smallest label mm -hmm. that That's I can. Mm -hmm. What are the things that consumers are not concerned about, about the things that go into their foods that you as a flavorist maybe wishes more, wish more attention was paid to? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, it, I can answer it simply, like, I think people approach vanilla extract. Everybody understands what vanilla extract is. Um, but maybe the way flavor producers approaches vanilla extract is they're, they're putting back all those complexities, like the wood, the smoke note, the, the vanilla bean note through extracts, but it'll just say vanilla extract on your label. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a complexity that I think a lot of consumers might not understand. Would that, would that be fair to say, Tony? Yeah, I, my mind goes to... Is there anything consumers aren't concerned about now? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. So I well, yeah, they all, yeah, we all fit in a different category yeah. for sure. I, 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 you know, I, I, as a scientist, it's hard for me to, to not get excited about science. And it's hard for me to not, not understand why people's concerned. Mm -hmm. So I keep hoping the pendulum swings the other way. So like GMOs are a great example, right? Mm -hmm. You know, none of us really, most folks don't really understand it. Right. And understanding that, you know, we're all living, breathing, walking, genetically Genetic modified, modified organisms. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, so not understanding that they, a lot of these things that do seem scary actually provide a real benefit to people. You know, the reason that we can use less pesticides and 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 feed people where where they can't grow things right. is because of some technologies like GMO. Yeah. So, so there is a lot of just sensationalism because of lack of understanding and fear. So, I guess I hope that consumers would have a bit less fear at some point and be able to trust some science. There's very good reason why they don't. Yeah, but in this, you know. We're, we all have access to so much now that I, I hope that this whole continued drive for truth and transparency yields that so people right. can actually understand right, the truth right. behind some science. That's one of the things I've always admired about your approach, Tony, is you both understand where the consumer's concerns are coming from and are transparent about, but here's why we do what we do and here's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's all well, chemicals. And I'm a consumer myself. I yeah. wouldn't eat it unless I, right. you know, I'm not going to eat something I'm you know, not making myself. So, yeah. yeah. Is there, and I don't think this is a question like just to food. I think this is a question for pharmaceuticals and for whatever, but I mean, mm -hmm. is there ever a level? So with GMOs, for instance, you know, the, the consumer concern might be phrased as, well, we don't know. We don't know what these particular modifications are going to do. We haven't seen three or four generations of consumers mm -hmm. uh, consuming them, and so we don't know if they're going to have an impact on the human body. Can you ever actually know that? Is there, is there ever a point at which you can say something is truly safe, whatever that would mean, or safe for a large enough number of consumers? Or is it ultimately yeah. always a bit of a, well, we know what we know and we're going to go ahead until we know something different? Yeah, I think true is a hard label to put on it, right? Yeah. Um, but you can infer. There, there's certainly a lot of scientists that you can relate and case examples you can relate and, you know, the what if and then kind of a theory that I certainly think you can apply. And it is done pretty well. I mean, when you, when you, when you do think about um, and food is easier to say than you know medicinal, which is a whole different yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But at least in foods, um, there's only a couple of real examples where you can say, "Whoo, that was a bad idea," you know. But it's usually <laughs> not by some some new chemical or something. It's usually some new technology. It's like you know, you know, didn't work. Didn't work, or you know, who knew fat was good for you? Right. Five years from now, we're going to realize how bad it is for us, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we realized, look at this, you know, all this sugar and low fat was such bad for us. Right. So I, I, it's true. Is so. Cyclical, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on the diet. <laughs> what yeah. diet fat you're yeah. in. 
But, right. but, I, yeah. but, but, but I do see your yeah. point, Brandon, and I also see that it is a hard leap for some folks to make with GMO. But I think that for me, my, my mind goes back to, as I said, like weird GMOs. Where you can look at plant grafting. You can look at all the, you know, GMO has been a long process. Mm-hmm. It just gets, unfortunately, things can get branded that sound really scary. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember when like bioscience or biotech was a positive right. thing? right. Right, it was seen as green, like ooh, it's right. bio. Plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now it's like the devil. You know, it's yeah. awful. Right, and it is that the the constant pendulum swing back and forth between mm-hmm. we know this, we know this, we know this. Yeah. I know some of your work is is uh, I don't know combating is the right word, but addressing consumer concerns to bring clarity. Oh, sure. To what's actually happening. And I'm the first guy to admit, too, that you know I've made my living addressing consumer concerns. So some of the very things that I'm banding about and complaining about have provided my income because yeah. I've had to provide, create, and provide solutions to address those consumer yeah. concerns. Yeah. Even if I may find them unfounded or sometimes frivolous, yeah. it's been very profitable for me. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Sure, sure. How do you – part of what you do is you um, – I think part of what you do – in the industry, you know, this there's the there's the sort of pure science about it is how would you create something, but there's the marketability aspect of it. How do you create something people actually want? And part of that is figuring out what people are going to want next before they want it. How do trends. you do that? Um, trends, you're right. Trends. Um, I know. This is going to sound so. <laughs> I know what, what was, I like. What was that? <laughs> I know what I like, and I uh, I hope everybody else does too. I think that's the simple simple answer. But is it as simple as if I apply it to another industry that you are in it and close enough to it so that maybe what you like is something you're, you're on the cusp of it. You're already tired of the thing that people are going to be tired of in six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm already, I'm kind of, I'm already tired of the word plant-based, but for the next three years, that's going to be everywhere. Yeah. You're all you're going to hear is plant-based, 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 but Hey, you know, like we were just speaking on before, that's just, that's what, that's what it's going to be, right. and that's what we're going to push um, or help push and commercialize and be a part of, and hopefully we do it right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think Lou's selling herself short about how you recognize trends because you know you, when you ask her the question, the listeners can't see this, but her <laughs> eyes darted around the room. Did you notice yeah. that? Yeah. Right? So you're, you're always aware. Speaking like, of um, you will ADHD. Look at, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you will. But she's. it's interesting to walk like whether it be to have a meal with her or a drink with her or walk a trade show with her, yeah. that it's this constant like just a sponge of input hmm. to feel for trends. So you're looking – so you were, I watch you create – you know, yeah. kind of a, an overall drink or something. And you won't just look at like the normal sources like, you know, Mintel or no. whatever sources we yeah, can look at. No. I a, guess, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so I, I watch you. You're constantly looking at any kind of source for input for trends. And, and you do that. You look directly like, so we have a very different way for trends. Like for me, I'm, I, I keep diving. Like I've already said the word truth and transparency. For mm-hmm. me, that's probably the root of a lot of the trends we're seeing now. And it seems as a spinoff, which is great, but it's very obtuse. It's hard to relate to, which yeah. you, you, you have a much better way of, of looking around the room and finding things. And you do, I think. And I don't know if it's repetition. Like, I've thought yeah. this about you. I don't know if it's a repetition <laughs> that you see that you predict a trend. I don't know yet. Or you make connections. But it's a really unique way of kind of, st- we call it like street trend setting. Yeah, you, you know, kind of feel it. It's yeah. like you feel it. You feel it coming. Or you, I right. don't know. It's like, a, it's like it's, you feel it. It's an instinct or something. Well, I've never thought about it this way because I think, I think when I sat down with the two of you, I thought we were going to talk a lot about chemistry a lot of what we're talking about is artistry and creativity and those are if i think about like music what are the trends in music what are going to be people going to be listening to next year the way that you find those things out is go to the small clubs and see what people are playing now so it's kind of a similar thing where you're sort of like what are people experimenting with what are they playing around with what's going to break yeah what's going to pop to be the next thing yeah Mm-hmm. And then from my childhood, I, you know, I love movies. So anything that relates back to a movie, I'm going to try and. Are flavors it. cyclical in the way that pop culture and music are cyclical? Mm, yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, are Twinkies going to come back around? That's <laughs> yeah, really what I want to know. Nostalgia is a big word for us. <laughs> we do have nostalgic flavors. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say this. You might have to like cut this out, but vanilla, mermaid, unicorn. They're all vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's whatever that popular word is or what people are using, you know, the next one will be like 
dragons or like, you know what I mean? A fantasy flavor right. that I think whatever, whatever's the insert word here um, of the era. Yeah. Whatever that, we're yeah. labeling the, yeah. the vanilla. trend. <laughs> yeah. The vanilla <laughs> trend. Yeah. yeah. So. Do you, so you said you kind of, you do it a different way. Mm-hmm. Your thing, you mentioned that you're looking at, at, you know, transparency and honesty and labeling. How are you thinking about innovation and trends and what's coming next? Because I think, I think one of the things that you're known for is accurately predicting those things and creating, Luke can tell me if I'm wrong about this, and creating them in ways that are authentic when they pop, that there they are and can be used in a number of different wow. types of applications. Tony's background is organic, and I think he's mm-hmm. very familiar and can sit in that very comfortably. Um, so I think that helps him create and look at this landscape easier than a lot of other flavor chemists, if that's... Say, say more about that. What is, what is being having organic as his landscape allow him to do that's different from other people? Because um, he can look at things clean and clear. Mm. He can understand that's, it at a, a different A place where he starts level. from. He's not trying to back something into a cleaner expression Yeah, he's not it. trying to look at an old formula and create it to be organic. It was already organic to begin with. Mm. Is that, that, you know? Sure. I think I'll it's clean that. and clear. Those yeah. are all compliments. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Essences, extracts, you know, he builds them back in so that something is, um, what we're seeing as a trend right now, he was already doing. Okay. So, yeah. To answer your question about mm-hmm. the trends, I, I, we, I do look at things like you know, we can look to some of the flavor trends now, which you said, yeah. I think you said nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And, and if I go towards that, I take that back to comfort. Yeah, right? comfort's why, a good word. Why yeah. are we looking for comforts? Because mm-hmm. we're, you know, here, at least here in America, well, I guess across the world, it's pretty turbulent times politically. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we all look for comfort and what drives that. So for me, I'm always looking for that because it gives flavor for me is, is an experience, you know, and, and then, and then so, so how do you convey that experience of what are people looking for? So when someone asks me to create something, I'll often look at, well, who's the target market? Yeah. Like who am I creating for? Sometimes it's really granular and they just tell you exactly what it is, but oftentimes it's not. And even sometimes they don't realize it's not. So you look for that. So you look for the brand, what's the brand trying to convey. And so sometimes we'll help that be flavor drivers as well too. Yeah. I think custom is important. Yeah. You have to customize. Yeah. Sometimes, well, more than often than not, towards that customer. You yeah, know? I think it's really interesting. Like, I mean, I hate to throw politics into the conversation, but go if, right ahead. But <laughs> Let's do it. I know my interviewer. <laughs> um, but if you do look at the Obama years and you look at some of the flavors and the flavor combinations that came, there's very adventurous. Right, mm-hmm. we saw a lot yeah. of cross pollination. That's when we started to see all these fusion type flavors and mixing yeah, with sweet and savory and spicy. And you look at the last yeah. four years, things have really gone back to nostalgia, nostalgia. comfort. Wow, comfort. Safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? You really you have seen a really research. Seedy. Safe. No. Seedy. <laughs> oh. That was a joke. <laughs> How do I convey a bad comb over into a flavor? How do I do that? A lot of orange. Red a, lot hot. Of, a lot of orange and things these days. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but it is it's interesting because people look to food like you said, people look to food for comfort. If they're not getting it in the general vibe then it needs to be sort of more strongly presented in the things that they're buying. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and that yep. goes all that goes all the way down to the ingredients that we drive, that we use and drive and, and the trends for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting. That, that's the other fascinating thing about our world, I think, is that how much, whether it be pop culture, political culture, socioeconomic pressures, yeah. it all comes down to what we experience and all comes down to what we create. And I think that's just a distillation. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for getting that. I knew that you were going to try and pull one of those in what are, for both of you, in the work that you're doing right now, so this is a general look at, like, the work that, you're, that you do in general and how the, what both of you do sort of relates to each other. In the work that you're doing right now today, what are the greatest challenges to what you're doing? What are the hardest things? If there is something that sort of, like, keeps you up at night or that you go into work thinking, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, what are the things that you face in your daily well, my world's a little different lately, so mm-hmm. I'm not just a straight flavor chemist where I'm given very granular, specific tasks now. My, I do live in the world of what our industries call innovation, what I think is full of shit because Ooh. it's such a huge word. You cussed before me. You know, I did? <laughs> I did? <laughs> you just uh, missed your opportunity. We'll just roll, back. We'll roll you, back the tape. You just live on <laughs> yeah. five and four. Um, so I think that's it for me is, is, is we do have these boxes that we have to live with, a clean label, plant-based 
or whatever. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night in a bad way. I actually kind of like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, it is doing that. So how, how do we find a way to be innovative, but also meet all these consumer concerns and demands? Um, that's yeah. probably it. Yeah, because, you, know, you know, we're such a label-driven mm -hmm. kind of world now. You know, all these labels communicate certain things and trying to do it all within yeah. that box. It's probably the biggest challenge. I know that's kind of a big statement. I'm not saying anything real, but that's probably the biggest yeah, thing yeah. that keeps me. Yeah, to play off of that, I yeah, I mostly feel the same way. It's hard to sometimes it's hard to be creative. Um, I I tend to, as Tony will as know, like he knows, I I tend to color outside the boxes, mm -hmm. and um, sometimes um, for this very science driven um, community and and being in a lab and understanding. Um, that there are parameters, and sometimes I think that, that that would be my challenge, you know. I love walking into my job. I love the job that I do. I just, sometimes I have to be like, okay, Lou, hone it in. And <laughs> I've been told that. Hmm. <laughs> so. You haven't been told that by me. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. What, what does that mean, though? I mean, does that mean, how would you approach uh, tomorrow differently if you were honing it in appropriately? Um, because I want to do a thousand things. I want to do, I want to show a customer or, or um, a consumer a different way of approaching things. Or I think this, this is the flavor that I think you should try or different layerings or um, all those kind of things. And sometimes you got to be like, okay, this needs to just be a simple strawberry flavor. Like just do that and be happy. Just make the consumer. Yeah. It doesn't need to be layered. It doesn't need to be. Happy. Yeah. Just make the customer happy. Sometimes that's can be difficult. <laughs> so on a on a daily basis, you are Lou. You're standing in the lab. Mm -hmm. You got your with the lab coat on and safety glasses. Goggles on and your safety glasses. And for the most part, you're you're mixing, making. Mm -hmm. I love things. your hand gestures. I, sorry, it's all hand gestures. <laughs> the Mine's usually a pipette here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> But Unless that is, it's if, a bakery application, I'll give you that. Imagining yeah. what you're doing in the day, you are a a chemist. Uh, I, well, I, that's a hard that's a hard word. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You would look yeah. like a chemist, though. Yeah, I yes, would so look yeah, like you're, a chemist. You're, you're, yeah. you're in a white lab coat. Yeah. yeah. You're in a lab, and you've got beakers yeah. and Erlenmeyer <laughs> flasks and all that's different my kinds class. of. <laughs> and all different kinds of things. And sponsored by Erlenmeyer. We got to get the shout out. Sponsored right. by Erlenmeyer. And magnetic spinners and everything yes. else. So yes, you look yeah. like a chemist. Yeah. Okay. Has, was that a challenge for you in terms of, you said you came into it through the food aspect. Tony talked about the connection between math and, and music. Mm -hmm. Has the chemistry oh. side of it been something that was challenging for you? Yeah, to get, get I into? had to get, um, get used to the words usage rate and I had to get used to the word grams. <laughs> and I mean, that's easy in bakery. They are like grams and that the metric system. But um, when I'm at home or I was cooking in a kitchen, it was a dash of this, a dash of that, mm -hmm. make it taste good kind of atmosphere. Um, and just, you know, keep going. And sometimes this is, uh, this is way more organized right. in a way that, um, because it has to be repeatable. It has, it has to, be to be repeatable. It's, it's, it's a formulation and it has to be, you know, ready to go to a consumer and ready to be upscaled. Whereas you know, food and bakery can sometimes be more creative, whereas bakery is a science too. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to be pretty, you have to be spot on for measurements, but. Yeah, Lou's job is literally take what we're drinking in this tumbler. Yeah. With all these different components she's put in mm -hmm. and make it into a farmer that somebody can make it a huge vat and put yes. to a bottle and it ship has all to be over upscaled. the world. Yeah. It tastes exactly the same. Over <laughs> right, and have over it be. As it did again. on my bench top. Yes. The same a thousand yep. times yeah. from now as it yep. is right yeah. now. Yes, yeah, so right, there's a lot of science in there. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love the, 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 the combination of the creative and the analytical. Mm -hmm. And you're both obviously very creative people, like seeing that come together. Yeah. And what you do is interesting. We found each other. <laughs> high fives. Uh, the loving high five exchanged across the table. Well, the, the last interview with Lou was at a Starbucks coffee house. And it wasn't five interviews. It was like three. Yeah, right, dude. It was like me and then you had and then you had another one and then it was the flavor chemist. All right, it was four. And then we got to go to flavor producers. <laughs> and then she finally said, so do I have the job? Do, yeah. Do I have the job? I was like, do I have a job? Well, let's talk about that a little bit because so so Lou has said that she came into it with a love for food. 
Yeah. And from a culinary background. And so um, whether you called it that or not, you had an exposure to the chemistry of how food goes together, of food science. Mm -hmm. When you are interviewing somebody, Tony, like Alou, for a job like this, who isn't coming in with a chemistry background, what are you looking for? Ooh, like, yes. what were the questions that Ooh, you were looking for in Lou that she, that she satisfied? <laughs> the first thing I usually ask is, tell me what you ate today and why. <laughs> yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and it could be, I mean, I remember, Lou, Lou your answer was really funny because you're like, don't shame me, but it was fast food. <laughs> but you gave me a really good answer yeah. as to why she wanted it. You know uh -huh. what I mean? It was like, no. Oh. And, and so you keep going. So generally it's that. It's like, yeah. I, I, wanna, I want to know a person. I want to see how comfortable they are in talking and just responding to these kind of questions. And then I also kind of want to see, do they naturally have... Um, in a good way, an analytical way of responding to my question mm -hmm. and being able to kind of vocalize what their experiences are. Because yeah. that's the key to it all. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be able to do just that. And you did it like, like that. Hmm. Because my answer, and it still is today, I love my fast food as much as I love my fine dining mm -hmm. and equally. And I know that scares some people and they don't get it, but equally. Mm -hmm. Well, why? T talk about that. Um, I think there's a, that umami that you get from mm -hmm. the fast food because it's built in. And whereas, like, in fine dining, you have to create that umami. And it's they're both creative in their own way. What do you mean when you say it's built into the fast food? I mean, I understand, like, most uh, people MSG. think. <laughs> well, right, that the, that the salt and fat components yeah. in, that make us crave, crave fast food it. are, are yep. there and intentional. Mm -hmm. That's the umami. That's the yep. thing that's built in. And it's not always necessarily bad. I think um, it's, you, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer I I love them both. I don't yeah. want to, yeah. You have an appreciation yeah. just like somebody might have an appreciation for, you know, abstract <laughs> art and, and impressionist art, you know, sure. like different yeah. times. Oil paintings versus, yeah. yeah. You can appreciate you know, the construction of it mm -hmm. for all its subtleties, even though it's different types. I love a lot. I think that helps too. I just, there's a lot that I love in each, in cultures and, you know, yeah. food and yeah. art and movies and books and yada yada. You're an enthusiast. So, yeah. Well, I think yeah. a guy who's been able to experience a lot of your compositions, I, I think what you get from it is you've identified that one common thing in kind of fast food is addictiveness, right? They have mm -hmm. kind of found that magic combination. I think you said it, yep. sugar, salt, and fat, Yum. right? And I think that you like right. I don't think I don't think you've realized it, but yeah. in all your and most of your combinations, you will find a way to make it interesting and addictive. Yeah, so there you, has to be a level. Yeah. And not just in those kind of taste sensations, mm -hmm. but you'll find a way to do it sensorially too. So you mentioned like Thank flavor you. waves. <laughs> She'll, so no, which is interesting. She'll, you'll, yeah. you'll, you will taste like just a seltzer water that has no caloric value, no fat in it at all. But just with the way that you're blending flavors and ingredients, you might get your first sip might get this, your second sip might get something else, mm. the third sip you might get something else. Well, then you want to go back again because you forgot what it tastes like, right. and then it's over and over and over yeah. again. So you found a way to make these things still addictive. So you found a way to take, I think, kind of a fast food addictive quality and apply it to something much more sophisticated, whether it be a liqueur or a, or I think a cocktail Tony needs or something to be my spokesperson. <laughs> it's so much today. more elegant than I am. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What is, if you, what's something recently that you have tasted, food or beverage or whatever, that you, with that approach to it, has really blown your mind? That if somebody's listening Ooh. now and they say, I'm listening from a flavorist's point of view and I want to go out and think about my food in a different way. How can you begin. yeah, guide them into an experience of something that they can go find this on the shelf or at a restaurant and, and remember, oh, they told me that these would be the waves or that these, this would be the experience they had. Anything? Uh, you go first. <laughs> Me or you? <laughs> you go first. Me? Well, I was yeah. trying to talk you into going there to get this afterwards. Oh, so, oh, so, yeah, I, so yeah. I think I think it's this whole trend of people recognizing that bitter's not always bad. Yeah. Ooh, I know yeah, that's, that's a commonality good. we share, Brandon. Yep. Yeah. But it's fine it's finding its way into common culture now. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and they're blending sweet and bitter to get this kind of dry palate. And we were, I was trying to talk Lou into going over to deeper talk roots. Talk me into it. I already said yes. What have you done? <laughs> so <laughs> what they're doing is they're taking coffee, which is obviously bitter, and mixing yeah. it with tonic, which is also bitter, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. With sweetness. So these different kinds of bitter to make it, again, really interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Deep Roots is a coffee place here, uh, uh, both a roastery in Cincinnati and they have coffee shops, uh, but they do they do really fun stuff. And they they do. Do. Yeah. We they do did an work. episode yeah. uh, last season at one of their places, but I need to talk to Les and the guys and actually like interview them about what they do. 
So I haven't had their version. I just read about it. But, but when we were um, in Europe, Melanie and I were able to make the, one of these this chain of coffee shops called Nero. And they're nothing fancy, but they were doing that right there at the barista. They were mm. taking like that fever is. tree tonics and they're blending with different kinds of espresso, whether it be ristretto yeah. pools or different cultivars with the different things. And it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Is it is it similar? I mean, cold brew and nitro cold brew is a huge thing now. Is it a is an experience in any way similar to that, or is it different? If somebody's thinking, why would I like that? It's different because you are you're, you're adding like another type of bitter experience, but also sweetening it to make it. Yeah, more it's palatable. it's multidimensional. Yeah, and it's a fun experience um, that you can keep drinking and drinking. I think that's a a note to how good something is. Is that it's not just one sip. You want to keep consuming it to pick out the layering, and yeah. whether you're it's subconscious or not, you're you're enjoying it yeah. in a different dimension. Mm. So that, that's probably it's my favorite. My favorite trend yeah. probably is the, is the finally the lack of acceptance of all things have to be sweet. Yeah. It's opening oh, up a yeah. whole world of different, yeah. you know, whether it be botanical or floral or, mm-hmm. and how those are actually perceived. Yeah. I like, I'd like to see sweet cocktails kind of fall by the wayside, like actually experiencing a cocktail from start to finish, mm-hmm. what those components are put in there and not just like a simple syrup yeah. loaded. Yeah. If somebody was saying, this is interesting, I've had a love for food, I didn't know this this was a thing, maybe this is a thing I could do for a living, how would they, wherever they are, start <laughs> to think about, um, we talked about your route to a career mm-hmm. in, in flavors. Um, is that a typical route? Like, how would somebody start to get involved? You mean in the flavor industry? Yeah. Well, first of all, you're only talking about two jobs in the flavor industry. Right? Right. I don't care about right. any of the others. Any other jobs. Okay, so if you, want, if you want to work in the creative. He said it, not the other. flavor world. No. There's lots of different industries. Like Lou came out of from a baker. We have another flavor chemist who was a chef. Yep. You know, we've got another chemist who was a biologist, another mm. chemist who was a chemist, and one who was a history major. So there's lots of ways into it, but the first thing I'll say is be willing to get your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm. Come in at a lower level. You know, and, and be willing, just be willing to put the time in to learn the materials because even the mundane jobs have their own fasting. Like the place I tell them to start an industry because no one wants the job is working quality control. Yeah. Mm. It's horrible. You're going to get beat up, you're, but it's going to help you get thick skin and you're going to taste every single one of the ingredients we use to create flavors over and over and over again. Tell, tell me, describe that job. Is that what you're literally doing? What What is quality control? Is it making sure that, that things are consistent from application to application? Yeah. Is it safety? Is it... Uh, to, uh, it can be all those things, but what I'm f- referring specifically to is, you know, as I said we, earlier in the conversation, we have a few thousand ingredients that we can use to make flavors, right? Mm-hmm. And these are all raw materials that we buy and mm-hmm. bring in. So a quality control laboratory technician has to analyze, test, and taste every okay. one of these raw materials, right? They also have to analyze, test, and taste all the flavors before they go out. And then they have, to, they have to look at the formulas. So you end up you end up just with this huge bed of knowledge. If you really do want to work in the flavor wow. industry, that's the place I Build would start. Build up as a starting point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a huge breadth of knowledge that mm-hmm. you're already coming in with. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see, you talked about things you want to see. You want to see sweet cocktails go by the wayside. Yeah. We talked about like clean label and things like that. Where do you see the industry going? Like if, if, if the listener right now is your buddy and we use the music uh, analogy earlier and you're saying like, here's what, here's what you're going to, and and nothing proprietary. (laughs) I know. Yeah. But like, if, if you want to give people the lowdown about like, here are things to watch for, or here are new, new flavors that you're going to see on the shelves at Trader Joe's. Mm. Uh, is there anything that you can give up about things that are coming down the pipe that people may not be experiencing yet? I, I think pumpkin spice. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween was yesterday. That's over. That's right. And nobody's ever tasted that before. No. So I think that's going to be a new hit. No. <laughs> yeah, that new little chain called Starbucks. Uh, yeah, really select. Um. <laughs> What's the I first flavor that comes savory. to your mind? Though? So something, something like what's the very first flavor that comes to your mind? I always think? think savory immediately. Like I, I love rosemary. I love rosemary to have its heyday, and then mix that with the citrus profile. Any new citrus, tangelo, pomelo. In what sort of an application to use your word in a drink? Tonics a- would be fun. I think we mentioned that earlier. Okay. Something where you're still kind of seeing that um, water. But what's the next? What's the next water? What's the next seltzer? What's the next? You know, Tony had mentioned bitters. I think tonic is a way to go. Um, 
we had you guys had played around with hops for a while. We did. I think hops would be cool to see. Yeah. In different applications. Um, so yeah, savory bitter. That's where I. Cool. And you just mentioned a combination. So you took something that's recognizable, like a citrus, mm-hmm. but something that's a little more maybe unrecognizable about that citrus, yeah. and then blending is something that's not citrusy, like a spice or savory, right? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did it and didn't notice it. Sorry. Yeah, that's, but that's, <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah, but but like for yeah. you and I, we think that's commonplace now. But I think you're right. I think we are starting to see those kind of combinations more. come up. Yeah. Yep. More and more. Yeah. Last question for, for both of you. Uh, from the position we talked a little bit about consumer concerns, if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, okay, I've been, a, I've been really concerned about labels and I've been really concerned about ingredients and I don't anything, eat anything that's not organic or, or natural, and you're saying everything is chemicals yep. on some level, what can, what can somebody who is, is increasingly coming at food from a fearful point of view, and I, this is a big question, but is there anything that you can say, here are things that you can learn or pay attention to, or, or orientations that you can have for your food that can allow you to still eat healthily and not be motivated by fear? Sure. Well, first, to give kind of a flavor industry PSA, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say that of all the things we eat, flavors are, the greens are good and flavors are probably the most tested hmm. of all the things that we use and probably the most safest things. Yeah. They also are the thing that contribute no nutritional value to the product you're eating. That's the funny thing because there's and such, there's such a low levels. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be fearful of flavors, mm-hmm. um, but I would be fearful about truth and labeling. It's getting better and better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's so many things that masquerade as calories, which we're concerned about or masquerade as allergens. Um, I think that's probably the thing to be concerned about. Again, that's a very selfish PSA. Um, but the other thing that's funny is, too, is there's this whole conception that if it's natural, and I say this because I'm a natural organic consumer, but there's this misperception that just because it's natural organic, it's healthy. Yeah. And that continues to be a huge misperception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what is something, and I want to hear your answer to the, to the question too, Lou, but what is something that you can look for? If natural is not a label that has consistent meaning, are there labels out there that actually have meaning that if a consumer is looking for something that they think means natural, that they can pay attention to? Yeah, but I think it depends on what you care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if, you're really, if you're really concerned about the environment, mm-hmm. right, buy organic. Because mm-hmm. organic is not necessarily a health movement. It's, a, it's an environmental movement, mm-hmm. right? So if that's your concern, look for that label. So make sure the, nat- the labels actually match what your interests or concerns are about. Right on. Mm-hmm. If you really are concerned about natural, go for it. If you're concerned about health and nutrition, scrap the labels. Turn the package around and look and at the, look at the nutritional panel, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, it all depends on what you're really concerned about. Gotcha. Yeah. Because right I mean, those, all those labels are there for a reason, mm-hmm. and usually it's not to communicate what's good about it; it's to market you something. Yeah. I think that's kind of an important thing to remember. Like the non-GMO project verified group, right? Everyone looks for the butterflies. They think it's non-GMO. <laughs> it's not even government regulated. Mm. It is a for-profit organization. It's a marketing symbol. It's a marketing symbol, right? Interesting. And they change their laws regularly. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's one of the biggest specific things is find out if the labels that you're looking at are driven by for-profit groups. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Turn yeah. your package around. I think yeah. that's what Tony just said. Turn yep. your yep. package around and look at the ingredient statement. Right on. And the nutritional panel. Cool. Yeah. Super interesting. Thank you both. Really, Thanks. really, really love it. We Thanks find for... it interesting. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Everyone's like, damn, that's boring. Yeah, boring. <laughs> I had to wake both of you up a couple yeah. of times during it. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's something, obviously, it's something what you do. There aren't very many things that I can say. I interview people on the show that people engage with it every single day yeah, in, an, un- in an unconscious way. And drink. Yeah. Do you, I, I guess maybe one more question. Like, do you feel that as a responsibility? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a responsibility because you, you want to create good experiences for people. Yep. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the stuff that we're asked to flavor doesn't taste good because it's generally healthy in our, in our mm-hmm. specific world. Protein. So it is a responsibility. Try <laughs> to make these things good for you. Actually, taste good protein. <laughs> pea protein. Pea protein. Yeah. Oh, I love me some pea protein. <gasps> I got pockets full of it. <laughs> protein bars uh, <laughs> can those go away forever <laughs> thank you both i really appreciate it and it's uh it's an area of curiosity that i knew a little bit about and i know i know more and hopefully other people do too so thank cheers you. again cheers. cheers thank you really appreciate it this episode of the distiller was recorded live at the overlook lodge located at 6083 montgomery road in cincinnati's pleasant ridge neighborhood Based on Stephen King's novel and the subsequent film, The Shining, the Overlook Lodge offers unique Shining-themed cocktails and decor that hopefully won't keep you on the edge of your seat 
Thanks to GM Heather Lynn Stickle and the staff of the Overlook Lodge for letting us invade for a little while, and of course, for the wonderful cocktails. And thanks again to Tony Moore and Lou Weeks of Flavor Producers here in Cincinnati for sharing their experience, their expertise, and their stories with us. You can check out photos of our time together, including, of course, the setting at the Overlook Lodge. Photos by the amazing Angie Lipscomb, along with links and more information are on our website at thedistillerpodcast.com. And of course, stop by the Overlook Lodge and tell them you heard it on The Distiller when you do. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Logos by Scott Ryan Design, video work by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you can listen and download every episode at thedistillerpodcast.com, where you'll find links, photos of the guests, and a map of all of our show locations. If you liked this episode, tell somebody about it. Follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, if you want to help us make more of these episodes, just click the Become a Patron button on our website for more information. Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers for helping us get the word out. Finally, please take a second to rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson, and thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.